Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined alongside by my brothers, Matthew Kuhn. Hey guys, how you doing? And Michael Kuhn. I'm here. Survived the hurricane. He's alive and well. So we're three brothers who were born into a Browns family. Our dad, Steve, um, is a huge Browns fan. Had our bedrooms dressed up with Browns colors, even when we weren't a team. And his father is lovingly called Sam Coon, but his real name is Shondor. Me and Matthew got a chance to talk to Shondor immediately following the Ravens game to get an insight into what he was thinking about the state of the Browns. Grandpa, how you doing? I'm doing fine. The Browns could use you. The Browns could use me. Where? Where do you think? I, where do you think I would play? Anywhere. Oh my gosh. They got a. They got a. They got a quarterback that uh, holds the ball too long. They got receivers that can't catch. They got nothing but penalties. Uh, I don't give them too much hope. <laughs> Yeah, no. Today was today was bad. Um, yeah, you didn't get to yeah, watch the game last week, though. Last week we actually played pretty well, I thought. Today yeah, we I played th- terrible. I thought it would be an improvement this week, but uh, it wasn't. Well, I will tell you what, if you're a Browns fan, you, you you just have to you just have to roll with the punches. I don't think they've beat the Ravens maybe once or twice. <laughs> and uh, and that's about it. They they just see the fold up. Um, you know, now this is uh, 16, 17, 18, 18 games they played, and they've won one out of those from last year. <laughs> it seems like they need some help. I think I think Matthew would be an improvement at the quarterback position from what I saw this week. <laughs> oh boy, I tell Ke- you, Kevin Hogan and his hairy arms got us ten points. Well, uh, you know, he came in and he right away he's he been a touchdown. You know, he'd say, "Hmm, well, what do you know? Maybe there's some hope here." But pretty soon he he, he faded, and uh, I don't know. He, they, they they try to try to throw the long ball they're, they're, and, they're, and, they're, and their defense it looks like they're playing two Tiamat zone stuff. I mean, every time, every time Flacco hits somebody all by himself, they play some, some man-to-man. Maybe they, you know, maybe they do a little better. I mean, he, he hit guys that were, there wasn't a white shirt around them anywhere. That happened um, consistently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, the, those, Kaiser interceptions were terrible. Yeah, and he he he, he holds the ball too long. I mean, you got to get rid of the damn ball. I mean, uh, uh, he's uh, running running for his life out of the pocket, and it, he he just throws it and hopes the hell somebody's going to catch it. That's that's a, that's got a white uniform on. You know, uh, I, I thought that maybe this guy might have been an answer, uh, but I don't know. Maybe he's just too damn raw. Yeah, we'll see. I, I was hoping that he'd get some help from the receivers today. The receivers played terrible, though. They can't catch. It's awful. I mean, when you got when you got a quarterback that that uh, that, that overthrows everybody, when you got a bunch of receivers that can't catch, and you got a defense that's that's all full of holes. I mean, I mean, there's not too much hope. I I just wonder uh, if this. Uh, Hugh Jackson is the answer, but I mean, 
he's he's sort of picked the quarterbacks. He says he's a quarterback coach. He's he's going to develop the quarterback, so he sure is doing a, a poor job of that. Yeah, so I mean they 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 have to they have to improve on their offense. I I thought I thought their offensive line was going to be pretty good this year. I don't know. It's turning out to be not that great. You know, these these guys are running running for his life all the time. But uh, you know, but but by the same token, he was under the ball too damn long. Grandpa, do you want to do a a modified win loss projection for the year? After the first two games, starting zero and two, what'd you project? Uh, seven and nine. <laughs> I said seven and nine. You still, you're gonna stick with that, Grandpa? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with it. They might, they might get real lucky. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, they couldn't have, they couldn't have picked two tougher games to start the season. It with. is brutal. It, they're just not capable of, of beating either one of these teams, and it's, it's no wonder they're zero and two here. You know, but uh, so it's going to take him a while to get to seven, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> hey, hey, but they still got time. They can get there, get to seven. <laughs> I respect the well, optimism, Grandpa. It's it's keeping me optimistic too. <laughs> you have to be optimistic. <laughs> well, they, the only the team they may have a chance against is Cincinnati because Cincinnati is just about as bad as they are. Cincinnati hasn't scored a touchdown in the last two games, uh, so you know I think that that would be a good that would be a good uh, game for them. Yeah, we play them uh, in the fourth game of the season. Well, I can I think I can safely say that they could have a very good chance of beating Cincinnati. All right, we have that on record. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they they got to have they got to beat somebody. We've got four easy games coming up. I think we win at least we win two games. If we can win two games and be two and four and just kind of get that monkey off our back, I mean, who uh, knows what's going to happen the rest of the season? But that yeah, that's a very optimistic outlook. Well, it's yeah. the, we play the Colts, the Bengals, the Texans, and the Jets. Yeah, you know so, who the quarterback? You know who the quarterback for the Jets is? Josh McCown. McCallum. <laughs> if the if the if the Browns cut you, you gotta be bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to maintain this mirage that the Browns aren't bad this year, honestly. But it's seeming like we are. That game yesterday was one of the most frustrating Browns games I've ever watched. Honestly, it was almost as frustrating as setting up this podcast was for us the last 45 minutes. <laughs> 45 about... minutes? I think it's been two hours. <laughs> yeah, we're, about, we're about two hours behind schedule, folks. So um... We were all three in a bad mood, but we we joked and talked it out and got into a better mood. We're good to go. Um, so, let's talk Browns. Yeah, let's let's get, get that out of the way. Um, so Obviously, the biggest talking point is Deshaun Kaiser's four interceptions. What, what, Matthew? You seem to you had something to say about that in the second half. What do you What do you think about Kaiser? I think the frustration for most people is that coming out of last week, he looked pretty good, and then this week he kind of made those mistakes that you would expect from a rookie. So if we didn't see last week, I think we wouldn't be quite as upset as we are um, currently. He made some terrible throws. I don't think you can justify. 
there's no excuse for the interception in the end zone, and there's no excuse for that interception late um, to Brandon Carr. But um, other than that, I think the positive that you can take out of Deshaun Kaiser is that we moved the ball. And that was true of our offense with Kevin Hogan in there too. Um, but we moved the ball, and we had more yards on offense than the Ravens. Um, we had some very inopportune turnovers, and you just can't make those throws. And those throws are terrible. If he can eliminate that and we can get the good without the bad, then we're going to be fine. I also wanted to talk about You mentioned this during the game while we were watching it. So me and Matthew watched the game together like we do most every Sunday. And Matthew made a hilarious comment that literally only the Browns would have a quarterback that is removed from the game for having a migraine. Like, have you ever heard of that happening? Michael? Yeah, no, is the short answer. <laughs> and I I rewatched the game today to try to watch it within, like, a sane frame of mind. And I couldn't get that out of my mind. Like, how much did that throw off our game plan and the mindset of a rookie quarterback having to leave the game in the first half and then come in after the second half had started? I just feel like that ha- we have to handicap this in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, and it's hard to know, I think, even once Kaiser came back. Uh, I can't imagine he came back 100%. I think he was playing through some, and maybe that impacted his performance in the second half. So I remember last week with Kaiser. We were talking about Kaiser. We were pretty excited. His completion percentage was better than we expected. We had a lot of positive things to say. And I remember saying, yes, he took a lot of sacks, but at least he wasn't forcing the ball where he needed, where in situations where he didn't need to. I feel like this week he reversed course and he started forcing the ball in those situations where he felt like he needed to make a play and it hurt us pretty bad. And so I think it's, we're just riding, we're riding the rookie roller coaster and uh, it's going to be week to week. We're going to win eventually, but it's, it's rough for right now. Yeah. And maybe he did. And maybe the second half interceptions, the lion's share of those interceptions were in the second half. Maybe he did still have a migraine and was struggling to, his keep his vision and see down the field and process things. I can't even imagine. But in in my opinion, who moved the ball the best for the Browns was Kevin Hogan, the hairy armed Kevin Hogan. Like honestly, um, okay, so no, I've got some stats for you right here. So Deshaun Kaiser went 15 for 31. Maybe you can put an asterisk next to that and say he had a migraine, but he went 15 for 31, 182 yards. And Kevin Hogan went five for 11 for 118 yards and a touchdown. Deshaun Kaiser didn't even throw a touchdown. Kevin Hogan immediately went in there, drove the offense down the field, and scored a touchdown for us. Had only 50 yards less than Deshaun Kaiser did, but he was not in there nearly as long with only a third the passes. How is that not more production, and how is that not exactly what we need on our team? Okay, so here's the thing about Kevin Hogan. I will grant him that that throw to David Njoku for a touchdown was an NFL-caliber throw, to throw it into the space. Fantastic placement. It was amazing. That is the best that Kevin Hogan can give you. That is amazing. There are two plays to me that demonstrate why Kevin Hogan is not the answer. The throw to Duke Johnson, where Duke Johnson made the one-handed catch, was intended for Ricardo Lewis and was 10 yards short. Ricardo Lewis was wide open streaking down the sideline on that play. And Kevin Hogan couldn't step into the throw, just tried to throw it with his shoulder and his arm, and it was 10 yards short. 
The second throw is that interception. That was also intended for Ricardo Lewis, and he left it short. The thing is, we saw this in the Texans game with uh, Deshaun Watson. If you don't have the arm strength, you have to put your body into it, and when you put your body into it, you lose the accuracy. I want to validate your point, Matthew, and state that I very distinctly remember skimping on my work and watching the NFL Combine a couple of years ago when Kevin Hogan was competing with Carson Wentz and others while we still had the second second overall pick. And they were doing the deep ball drill where they were throwing deep 50 yards down the field. And you saw Carson Wentz just step up and throw like it was no big deal. You saw Paxton Lynch step up and throw like it was no big deal. And I have never seen somebody rear back further than I saw Kevin Hogan rear back to try to throw the ball 50 yards. And it's true. Every time I watch him in the game, I get scared when the ball is in the air because it just floats. It has zero zip on the ball. And I just think in a in a mop-up scenario, he can succeed because he's smart and intelligent and makes the right reads. But in a, in a full game scenario as a full-time starter, I don't think he's got what it takes. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's fair. But, I mean, you can't. Some of the interceptions that Deshaun Kaiser threw were just as bad as the ones that Kevin Hogan threw. Granted, Kevin Hogan's were for his lack of ability, and Deshaun's Kaiser's were for his bad decision-making. But wouldn't you rather have someone who can make good decisions but doesn't have all of the physical talents than someone who makes bad decisions and can make the throws but does the wrong thing all the time? Kaiser threw four interceptions. No. Or three. To answer your question. Three interceptions. To, to answer your question, no. I, I think that Kaiser can, um, with a little more experience, can figure it out. And I have no idea what happened on that interception in the end zone where he threw it behind him. But it was an I, awful think throw. I think he'll figure it out. Well, we'll talk about uh, Corey Coleman's injury. So that's two years in a row now that he's broken his hand. I've never broken my hand. I, <laughs> I It's amazing. He's never played an NFL game. But it's also amazingly easy for him to break his hand, and I, that's incredibly frustrating. At a wide receiver position that we just cannot seem to get right, I, I'm, I'm on the horrible cycle of hoping that Josh Gordon is going to come back and be the savior of our franchise again, which only puts uh, me in a place for disappointment. Yeah, uh, I don't know if there's anything to say other than how crazy is it that exactly a year away from playing the Baltimore Ravens in week two, Corey Coleman breaks his hand literally a year to the day from last year and is going to be out for a majority of our season, it looks like. Let's just hope the – it sounds like I guess he had surgery this time and he didn't have surgery last year. I don't know if that's going to be better or worse for him, but let's just hope it's – going to result in some good good final six games of the year yeah as of recording for the podcast the latest reports are that he had surgery is going to go to the ir and is expected to return um in six to eight weeks so hopefully he can come back at the end of the season hopefully he has a reason to come back at the end of the season and maybe perform a little bit for us so i have a question for you guys like just looking at so the Ravens' defense has forced ten turnovers in their two games. Crazy. Do you think they're that good, or did they just play two terrible offenses that are trying to figure out who they are? It's a combination of both. But I mean, Andy Dalton isn't a turnover machine. I mean, Deshaun. Apparently, Kaiser so might is Deshaun be. Kaiser. Yeah, Deshaun Kaiser might be. We it, that's yet to be seen. But I don't know. I think they're 
I was hearing on the broadcast they were talking about trying to break the record for the largest turnover differential. I mean, that seems to be a focus for their team. They have the talent to do it. They're a bunch of veterans who are still able to move around the field. I would think I would actually say that I think they've played two terrible offenses. Um, I watched a Bengals game from this week against the Texans. That offensive line is terrible. That is all-time horrible. Granted, they were playing J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney, but Andy Dalton was running for his life on every single play and was throwing into windows on the run because he had no choice. I think um, in the Bengals game, that was probably the case. In our game, we got behind and had a rookie quarterback who was forced to throw with receivers who either weren't trying or were injured. Um, oh that created some, some other issues and didn't create a, a situation to succeed. You know what? I want to talk more about our receiving core. I want to talk, Michael, the other day you went on a rant about Kenny Britt, and today it's my turn to rant about Kenny Britt. Kenny Britt does not give a flying crap about the Browns team. He did not try the entire game. He was just walking around. He tweeted last week um, when it was a response to, to me. I don't know. Matthew seems to have a different opinion. But he tweeted an emoji where he had, like, his hands up and he was doing, like, a shrugging, like, emoji. And it was like, I read that as like, he was just like, oh, well, you know, sometimes you drop the ball on for or like third and 18 when you have a rookie quarterback. Like sometimes you just drop it like no big deal. And then in that game that I just watched, it looked like him and Sammy Coates weren't even trying. Yeah, there's that tweet going around that shows that route um, in the fourth quarter. The game was probably out of hand, but you see both of them completely loafing on the exact same play. When you've got a rookie quarterback behind the line of scrimmage trying to figure out what he's doing, and he's got wide receivers out there just kind of going through the motions. So that is very disturbing on a number Cut of levels. Up. What was encouraging to me was on that last drive, there was about two minutes to go, uh, Deshaun Kaiser throws uh, a comeback route to Sammy Coates on the sideline, and it's an incomplete pass by about five yards. And you see Deshaun Kaiser yell at Sammy Coates. He says, what was that? Like, he knows that Sammy Coates is dogging it or making a mistake, something. I mean, I'm not going to assume what he's doing, but Deshaun Kaiser cares. Deshaun Kaiser is passionate. He wants to get out there and win and make sure that everybody's doing their job as they need to be. Yeah, no. I completely agree. I like that too. But what else about this game? What else did we see? Matthew, you got anything? Yeah, I think this game, I mean, it turned right before the half. We, we scored that touchdown. It was 14-7, to and I don't know why. John Harbaugh, I think maybe he was worried about us. He's, he saw how we were moving the ball. I mean, they chose to set up for a 58-yard field goal by Justin Tucker. I know he's the best kicker in the league, but right before halftime with a seven-point lead, that seems like an extreme move. They missed that field goal. We get the ball on the 48-yard line. Obviously, we're in a good spot to score there if Kevin Hogan doesn't throw that interception. We need to gain five to ten more yards, and we're in field goal range. Kevin Hogan throws that interception. They return it for a few yards, and there's 15 seconds left on the clock. No, there's 20-something seconds left on the clock. And the next play, they throw an out to Jeremy Macklin, who gets popped by the cornerback and driven out of bounds backwards. Oh, yeah, I remember But that. the clock stops. I have, there is no interpretation of that play by the ref where Jeremy Macklin 
was moving forward out of bounds to stop the clock on that play. And that's the rule in the NFL. You have to be making forward progress going out of bounds in order for the clock to stop. The clock stops on that play. Obviously, the next play, Buck Allen runs for 40 yards against us down to the two-yard line, and there's five seconds left. If the clock doesn't stop on the Jeremy Macklin play, the Ravens are forced to take a timeout, and they cannot run that next play the same way that they do because they can't stop the clock. We don't give up that touchdown. The game is completely different. That's a good call, and I was frustrated with some of those big chunk plays that we allowed throughout the entire game. I think that first half, um, you know, back and forth that we had with the Ravens um, was a huge swing point. I think your point is well, well taken. I mean, 14 to 10 is a lot different story than 21 to 7 going into halftime. Or 14-13. If Kevin Hogan didn't throw that interception, we got a field goal. I mean, that, that would have been 14-10. We had oh, to kick field goal to get 10. Okay. Um, my take on the whole game was, and I tweeted this from our, our podcast account, was I felt like we were outcoached in that game. Like the Ravens looked at our tape from how we played defensively against the Raven against the Steelers in week one, and they put a game plan together of a bunch of very simple, easy throws with misdirection to the running backs and the tight ends to move the chains and move the ball down the field. Deshaun Kaiser could have executed a very similar game plan on the Brown side of the ball, but we were asking him to throw the ball deep down the field. And the Ravens had Joe Flacco just kind of dinking and dunking right down the field, moving it in big chunks right down our throat the entire game. When they needed to get yards, they got yards. And I felt like it was the brains behind the operation on the coaching sideline that won the game. And it's one of the first times I felt that Hugh Jackson really didn't have a good game plan in place. Yeah, I mean, so I do feel like they just dinked and dunked us the entire way down the field. And I was kind of disappointed with the way that our defense played. But really the problem was the turnovers. I mean, we had more total yards than they did. We had 386 total yards. They only had 337. But it didn't feel like that while we were watching the game because every time we got into the red zone, we threw an interception or we lost the ball. Also, when Deshaun Kaiser got that strip sack and they scored their first touchdown right off of that, like that was completely an inopportune um happening and we just can't do that and that's that's the woes of having a rookie quarterback and it's gonna happen for sure but i think in a lot of ways we i mean in so many ways we should have won that game you're not gonna win a game with five turnovers i mean i I don't think we should have won that game because because of the five turnovers but to michael's point about the coaching i think He's right that we were outcoached. I'm encouraged by the fact that I feel like we made um, adjustments at halftime. I'd like to see them made a little earlier. But the fact that we gave up three points, um, we only scored three points in the second half, but we only gave up three points in the second half also um, proves to me that, I mean, we can kind of play at this level with this group. Yeah, I mean, we totally can, and we will be able to play at that level once we get some experience under our belt. Uh, we're going to be able to compete in the AFC North in the next couple of years. I'm confident of that. You watched the Bengals game again from last week. What did you see? Look, the Texans and the Bengals game. Oh, my gosh. 
It's the only thing more unwatchable than that young Sheldon show that CBS is trying to shove down our throats. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine anything that I would rather watch less than that bullcrap. Um, but, I mean, so the, the Bengals are going to struggle all year, and it's, it's not because they don't have um, weapons. I think we know that they do. Their offensive line is terrible. I mean, they lost Zeitler to us. They lost Whitworth to the Rams. Um, they drafted those two young tackles three years ago, and they just don't have the experience and they haven't developed. And J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney and the rest of the defense for the Texans just destroyed them. Andy Dalton was running for his life every single snap. He was looking one read and then he was going because he had no other choice. They, If they can protect the quarterback, they'll be fine, but I don't think they can protect the quarterback. Um, going forward, they're going to struggle. They're not going to – challenge for the playoffs unless they can figure that out um they're a team that i think we could beat and maybe challenge for third place in the division it's going to be interesting to see where their offense goes from here because even though their offensive line blows which i don't think anybody can argue they have probably probably behind those Steelers, the best skill position players on offense that are division in our division for sure. And so now that they don't, now that they fired their offensive coordinator, Kent, Ken Zampezi, right after the game, it'll be interesting to see where things go with Bill Lazor at the helm. He's kind of a spread concept guy. I remember when he was taking the helm in Miami, running the offense down there, there was a lot of excitement. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that going into the future. I'm a little bit worried that they're going to start hitting their stride against the Browns in week four. <laughs> That would seem fitting for uh, – but they're, they're, I think we're going to hit our stride week four against the Bengals. Hopefully we have Miles Garrett back week four against the we Bengals. Should. That that's, would be – That's about the timetable. That would be a great perk. Michael, you watched the uh, Steelers game over again. Um, what did you see? Was Were they getting better than they looked week one or – you know what? Honestly, like, so I had seen the updates, the highlights and everything, and then I got to rewatch the game today. And I honestly didn't see much difference from week one when we played them. The biggest difference and what resulted in the um, large margin of victory for them is they were able to uh, get some big chunk yardage downfield based on pass interference. So in first in the first half, they, Ben Roethlisberger threw deep three times, and on two of those plays, the first one to Antonio Brown, second one to Martavis Bryant, they drew two really big pass interference plays, and that's what led to their first two touchdowns. So I, I felt like it was a lot of the same. You didn't see a whole lot coming in their running game. Le'Veon Bell looked a little more comfortable than he did against us in week one. Um but I really wasn't all that impressed with either their offense or defense in any particular fashion. That's a pl uh, page out of the Ravens playbook, the Joe Flacco playbook, the chuck it downfield and get the pass interference call. Yeah, I mean, seriously, it resulted in all of their points. It was penalties that led to points. And um, it, it didn't really, like, put me in a much different um, place than I was last week um, as far as my analysis of the Steelers. <laughs> Okay, so then the Steelers are beatable in the division. Maybe Week 17 will come out with a win and keep them from going to the playoffs. Wouldn't that be a dream? Oh, gosh. I, I don't know if that's in play, but um, we can dream. We can dream. That's all we do. So I watched the indie game as a preview for the upcoming week, and we are actually a favorite to win that game, which is fantastic. And I, I think it's reasonable. Um. 
watching Indy play the Cardinals was just it, it wasn't a good game. I read a couple articles about Indianapolis and they said that they're le- feeding off of Jacoby Brissett's um, confidence, and he really is confident. He is not a good thrower. I mean, he does not have the ability to put the ball accurately where he wants to put it. The only thing watching that game that he was threatening was his legs. He can scramble, he can run the ball, and he can get outside the pocket and make something happen. He had a decent amount of yardage on the ground, but he consistently underthrew his receivers. He consistently threw the ball behind his receivers, and the Cardinals should have had way more interceptions than they did. They dropped a couple of them. So I have a buddy at work, Dan, who is as much of a Colts fan as I'm a Browns fan, which is really saying something. And I got his take on the Colts today, and he thinks that the Colts defense is severely underrated. Um, talked about their linebacker core getting a lot of pressure. It sounded a lot. That actually, is like severely what... comical. No, no, I will say I. <laughs> No, I will say I watched the game, and they did put a lot of pressure on Carson Palmer. And that, that is one of the takes that I had is um, Kaiser is going to have to get the ball out faster because they put the pressure on Carson Palmer. And he threw some interceptions and made some mistakes because of it. If Kaiser sits back there in the pocket like he's prone to do, we're going to have a problem. The Arizona Cardinals offensive line versus the Cleveland Browns offensive line is a completely different story. So I'm very interested to see – what results in this game um i think too what's interesting a interesting storyline is the number of former cleveland browns in this game rob chudzinski is the offensive coordinator and if you look through their roster they have a handful of former browns including uh pierre desir including jabal sheard um and there's a few others throughout their roster um that have been drafted by the browns and actually honestly had some pretty um good showings as cleveland browns so i'll be interested barkevious mingo is the one i was missing oh yeah um well the the special teams ace barkevious mingo number six overall pick in the 2013 nfl draft the the only special teamer that's drafted in the first round Seems like they're just picking up the scraps from New England. Anyone that New England looked at, they're like, oh, they must be good if they even went there for a second. Uh, So hopefully we can pull out that uh, victory that the Lions have us. Um, Michael, how are we standing there on the Lions? what's, What's the record? I regret to inform everyone that Matthew is leading um, with four four correct picks versus two out of the six games he's picked four i've picked two and mark has let's uh, hear it bring select... us up <laughs> mark has picked one Woo! Yeah! Out of the six. one pick let's go one out of six one out of six. Oh, i'm feeling uh... strong about that i'm feeling good it's that we're about to turn it around whatever i think everybody... whatever i'm gonna pick i'm gonna pick the opposite now if everybody remembers correctly, last week we had an emergency recording pre-hurricane, and uh, the Giants and Dallas game was still going, which uh, Matthew and Mark had both picked Dallas. They ended up crushing the Giants, and so I lost that one. They both won. Heading in then to this week, Houston and Cincinnati, we all were woefully wrong, um, more optimistic about the Bengals than we should have been. And then the Green Bay-Atlanta game was the difference maker. Matthew and I both picked Atlanta. Mark had Green Bay. 
And then uh, we all are optimistic Browns fans that thought, obviously, we can cover the nine and a half points that the Ravens were getting. Um, <laughs> we didn't. In, hindsight, yeah, we in hindsight, that makes so much sense that that was such a dumb pick. But I'm not sure why <laughs> we all did it at the time. Nine and a half points still seems like a lot to me. And then um, it was 14. But we, we, as the Browns, managed to uh, have a migraine and uh, botch that one. Make so it not even close. it was it was a bad week for all of our picks. Matthew and my pick of the Falcons were the only wins on the entire week. Mm. So heading into week three, Thursday night, uh, we have the Rams visiting the San Francisco 49ers, and the Rams are favored by three points. Mark, give me your pick. All right, I'm going to take the Rams. I am sold on the Rams' offense. They're going to score a lot of points. I actually really the reason why i'm taking the rams is because san francisco is so bad and they're going to continue to be so bad mike shanahan can't turn that entire team around fast enough i'm going with the rams. uh is that mike shanahan that's what i said is i don't that think correct? mike shanahan's coaching in the league anymore kyle kyle his son <laughs> is his firstborn and the love of his life kyle shanahan the keone Ely moment <laughs> yeah uh, i guess we're gonna have you one even corrected week. me and i stood by what i said <laughs> that was, that was the that worst in, part of that it's the intuition yeah the intuition All says right, mike who you got rams at 49ers oh my gosh rams at 49ers on thursday night football i think this is gonna be so vile that ted cruz won't even view it on twitter um, <laughs> we are I, I got to take the Rams. I mean, the 49ers are terrible. They haven't scored hardly any points um, all, all season. The Rams, Jared Goff looked okay. I like Sean McVay. I'm going to take the Rams. So I view this game as two young coaches with uh, insufficient rosters, and it's a toss-up, and because it's a toss-up, I'm going to take the home team and pick the San Francisco 49ers. So that right. brings us to Sunday night football. We have the Oakland Raiders visiting the Washington Redskins, and we have another home dog as the Raiders are favored by three and a half points. Matthew, give us your pick. Yeah, I'm going to take Washington here. I mean, I, I think Washington's defense is coming on. The Raiders uh, pass, pass the ball. I mean, Crabtree and Cooper are great. Cars performed well. They've got a good offensive line, but I think the Redskins are coming on. I like their defense. I like them being at home. I'm going to take Washington. Mark? I am going to take the Raiders. I just love Marshawn Lynch. This is a gut pick. I'm going with my gut again. I want Marshawn Lynch to go beast mode. I want them to throw Skittles on the field. I want I want all of that. I, But I really do like Derek Carr, and I really like their passing offense in line with Marshawn's power running game. Marshawn embodies what Oakland football is supposed to be, and they're just they're going to be good this year. I, I have them winning. Um I'm not is I, not even close. I think Oakland's going to win that game. Oh, you're going to eat those words. I'm going to love it. So I, I have the I Redskins as well. I have the Redskins as well in this game. I think it's close. It's hard to make out both of these teams. I'm still not sold on the Raiders' defense. They were pretty bad all last year. Um, and I like the pieces that Washington has on offense. I think uh, Terrell but Pryor why? maybe will uh, finally not drop a pass. And uh, I've got the Washington Redskins to uh, 
to cover in this particular game. Do you think Kirk Cousins is really that good? No, but I think Kirk Cousins is really good at the business of football. I'm so proud of him for squeezing out every single dollar he possibly can from the Washington Redskins. Well, then you should be, if you're proud of that sort of action, you should be very proud of Brock Osweiler. Oh, yes. Because he's unlegitimately gotten so much money. Yes. Which brings us to the game that we all actually care about, the Cleveland Browns visiting the Indianapolis Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium. The Browns, surprisingly enough, are favored by one point on the road, which means that Vegas thinks the Browns are four points better than the Colts on a neutral field. What do you guys think? Go Browns. That's my pick every week. Go Browns. So our our friends over at Surviving This Season um, sarcastically pick the Browns every week and say that it's a an easy win. Um, it makes me so uncomfortable that the Browns are a favorite in this game. I have I don't remember when the Browns have last been a favorite, especially on the road. Um, although the Colts are awful. I mean, without Andrew Luck, this team is terrible. I have to pick the Browns. I have to think it's at least a draw, and so I'll take the Browns. Um, hmm. There's not one thing I can point to on the Colts without Andrew Luck that makes me think that they are better than the Browns. I'm going to channel my inner Shondor and be as optimistic as possible and select the Cleveland Browns as well. Um, I refuse to go into this week thinking that uh, the Browns will not win. We only have to cover one point. I think the Browns escape with a victory, and we start a little winning streak here, heading into some winnable games here in the future. I, I will say, I, I hope that's true, and I hope we win some of these chunk games coming up because we're playing some bad teams. Yeah, we've got, we, we've got um, Indianapolis, we've got the Bengals, we've got the Jets, and then we've got the Texans. Texans, who are honestly, with us, the five worst teams in the league. If I think that's reasonable to say. The 49ers are rivaling us. Yeah, the 49ers might squeak in there. That's the bottom six. How many of those games do we have to win to feel good about the rest of our season? Three. To feel good about the rest of our season? Three. Yeah. But a reasonable, like, request is two games. We win two of those games. And I hope it's the Texans. I really do. I kind of agree with you. I'm hoping for three wins out of those four. If we ended that stretch three and three, I can't imagine um, being any more happy. Yeah, no, I mean, anytime we're at 500, I feel great about the Browns. But honestly, even the, even before the kickoff on the opening week, oh I yeah, feel I felt great about the Browns because we're 500. At the beginning of every season, I feel amazing about what the Browns' product is about to be on the field, and I'm woefully wrong a lot of times. Um, so anyway, I, I do think that with the subtraction of Corey Coleman and the subtraction of Jamie Collins with his concussion, do we know if he's going to be he's, able to make it back? He's in the concussion protocol. So, um, he, he may be back for, for the indie game. Um, it's unknown at this point. That's definitely a hurdle that we're going to have to overcome. But if there's anyone we can beat in the league, Andrew Luckless, Indianapolis Colts is definitely... Um, should be the team that we beat. Anyway, so that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to follow us at Sin of Our Fathers on Twitter and at Sin of Our Fathers on 
Oh. <laughs> Michael just sneezed, which was hilarious. Um, and we'd also love for you to leave a comment on our uh, page at uh, iTunes Podcasts so that we can um, get some traction there. Yeah, I wanted to give a um, quick heads up. If if y'all aren't listening to some of the other Browns podcasts, um, there's there's two other ones out there that I know are really good. There's one called um, Surviving the Season, which has been around for this is their second season, and they're great. Uh, there's another one called Orange is Oranger. Um, give them give them a listen. Support the other Browns podcasts out there instead of um, listening to kind of the, the media that may or may not be down on the Browns. They are uh, down on the Browns. We're also going to be in Cleveland coming up here in, in not too long for the, for the Bengals game in week four. If y'all are going to be there and you want to meet up um, – Send us an email. Hit us up on Twitter. Um, we'd love to meet up with you and talk about the Browns. Maybe even buy you a beer, depending on how many people come out. Um, or you can buy us a beer. How or you can buy that, us Matthew? a beer. Come that'd, on. that'd be great, too. Have some, have some better expectations for us being in Cleveland. <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, we'll be in Cleveland. We're coming to your city. Buy us a beer. Um, we'd love to talk to you. Talk to you about the Browns. Hang out. Let us know what you think about the pod. All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next week coming out on Tuesday. After the Go Colts Browns. Game. Go Browns. Go Browns.